0: You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au Good morning, City Edges. Great to have you all this morning. Great to be able to meet together, even though we're all in self-isolation. But it's great that we'll be able to meet together and read the Word together and, and really dive into the Word. Um, So today we're going to look at uh, continuing the series in the characteristics and the attributes of God. For those that might be listening for the first time, welcome. I'll do a quick recap of what we've covered so far in the series and why we're doing this. So the reason we're looking at the characteristics and the attributes of God is so we can understand God in a a deeper and more meaningful way. Our knowledge of God directly affects how we worship Him and serve Him and how wholeheartedly we are when we're serving Him. To live a godly life, we need to know God. We need to know His character. We need to know His attributes. We need, not in just a summary knowledge of skimming over the top, but we need to know Him in a deep and meaningful relationship with Him. So quickly recap of what we've covered so far. At the very beginning of the series, it was probably about six months ago, but we looked at God's love. And then we, we went straight into how God is... In unchanging in all aspects. What well, means His Word never changes, He never changes. We can take hope in a God that never changes. We can see see how He's acted through the Word. We, we know Him and we know that He will never change. Well, it's a great thing. We take great encouragement that He never changes because if He did change, then how can we ever be certain of salvation? Then we dove headfirst into the omnis. We looked, first, we looked at the omnipresence of God. There's not a single place where He does not dwell. There's no escaping God. We're either with Him or against Him. Either way, we can't escape His presence. We looked at God's omnipotence. He is all-powerful. He he never has a time where He's not all-powerful in a situation. As... We had a look at God is unchanging before, meaning that His power never increases or decreases. The God that created such an intricate universe and the God that defeated the power of sin and death is still the same from the beginning to now and always be the same. Always all-powerful in every situation. We looked at and last omni, omnipotence. He is all knowing, he is wise. There is nothing he does not know. There's nothing that he doesn't know how to sort out. He has a solution for everything. You can't catch God off off guard. He knows everything. He's an all-knowing God, and there's nothing you can hide from an all-going all-knowing God. What's a warning to us, but it's also an encouragement that He knows your deepest, darkest secrets and He still loves you. And lastly, we looked at God's holiness. He's not just holy. But as the word puts it, he is holy, holy, holy. This is the only word in the Bible to get repeated three times in a row. And basically it's the Bible, it's the word trying to get across that God is holy. holy. And from that holiness, his character is derived. He can't act outside of that holiness. He can't do anything outside the holiness. Everything he does is holy. If he acted outside of that, he would cease to be holy. So after that quick recap, if you want more details about those sermons or or want to listen to them, you can catch up on the City Edge uh, podcast app. Um, They're all up there, so jump on and have a listen. But more importantly, don't just take my words for it and preach for it. Jump into your Bibles and discover who God is and His character in the Word for yourself. There's so much more power in the Word than what I could ever say. So what brings me to what we're looking at today? Our next characteristic characteristic of God is that God is all-gracious. God's grace for us is such an amazing thing and it's just incredible. His grace is so big, so large that once again we find ourselves in the situation as, as humans and fallen beings and not being able to fully grasp just the greatness and the depth of God's grace as, as we just can't comprehend it. We're, we're limited to what we can comprehend but we'll find out eventually when we go to be with Him. So let's, let's get into looking at God as an all-gracious God. The grace of God means unmerited favour. What means we do not deserve anything that God has done for us. We don't deserve His grace as we have fallen and we have all sinned. As we read in the Word, the punishment for sin is death and to suffer the wrath of God. God is a gracious God and He shows unmerited favour for those who believe and put their trust in Christ Jesus. But more on that soon. Have you ever wondered why? Why would a God who has everything want to be gracious to us? Why would He want to be gracious to people that have fallen and sinful and willingly rebel against Him? It's a question that, that can take some thinking. But we soon discover that God is a God of love And He loves us so much that He has grace for us and gives us a way for those who have faith in Christ Jesus, not only to receive forgiveness through justification, but we receive so much more than we ever deserved. Not only that, but God delights in showing us unmerited favor in our lives. Just think about that for a moment as we go on. So first thing I want to go through is that God's grace is free. It is undeserved. There is nothing we can do or bring to God to buy His grace. We can't live lives good enough to be deserving of this grace. We have nothing to bring to this at all. We can see this in Luke 15, 11-32. As we have all probably heard this, this is the parable of the prodigal son. So we're, we're going to jump in and read it. So if you go to Luke 15, 11-32... A reading from the ESV. And it says And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in a reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I arise and go to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robes and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For For this my son was dead and is alive again. He is lost and he is found. They began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field. And as he came, he drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what the, the what these things meant. And he said to him, "Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered." His father, look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your commands, yet you never gave me a young goat, and I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who had devoured your property with prostitutes, killed the fattened calf for him, and he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive, he is lost and he is found." As we can see, the son went out with his inheritance, spent everything he had. He sinned in the eyes of the father and before heaven. The story continues. He, he loses it all. He gets desperate and a famine comes across. So he gets a job at a pig farm feeding pigs. And he's that desperate. He's longing to eat the pods that the pigs eat. And while doing this, he comes to realization that even his father's servants have more than he has. The prodigal son realizes here that he has nothing to bring to the father. He comes up. We have a speech to ask the Father for mercy and grace over his life, and to make him a servant in His household. We see the response. We see that this response of knowing that he has nothing to give. This is how we are with God. We have nothing, and need to come to Him like the prodigal son does the Father. The son went to the Father, asking him to be a servant and saying he's not worthy to be His son. Like us, we're undeserving of God's unmerited favor. But we see the father's re- response in the parable. He runs to his sons, welcomes him. He dresses him in the finest robes. He puts the family ring on his finger. He welcomes him back into the family and throws a party to celebrate, giving thanks to God for his son was dead but now is alive. In the same way, when we come to God we with nothing and knowing full well that we are un undeserving and have sinned against Him, we see His reaction, how much He loves us. Through that love for us, even when we were still sinners, we find favour over our lives, not just to be adequate to what we deserve, but it's abundant grace, more than we could ever ask for. God depends on us for nothing. As we can see, God's unmerited favour, His grace for us is free and unconditional By its very definition, grace can't be earned what is great because none of us would ever measure up. As we can see, we can't persuade God to give it to us as God is all-powerful. We can't trick Him to giving it to us because He is all-knowing. There is nothing we can do to buy His grace. It is free for those who come to Him. It is a gift from God. So point number two about God's grace. We touched on it in the last point, and that is that God's grace is abundant. As we saw in the father's response to the prodigal son in the parable, the father didn't forgive the son, didn't just forgive the son, and made him a servant I in his household. That would have been an adequate response. Uh, after all, he just squandered all the inheritance and sinned against him, right? This would have been a fair response from the father, but instead we see his response in abundance, not only forgiving the son, but he reinstated him back into the place of the family. So much more than he deserved. In Romans five, twelve to 21 it says... Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because of all sin, all has sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses... Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam, who was the type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespasses, for it it may die through one man's trespasses. Much more have the grace of God and a free gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespassers brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespassers brought justification. For if because of one man's trespasses death reigns through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through one man Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass has led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So one man's obedience, many were made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespasses. But sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So these verses, we can see Paul making a reference to Adam about the fall, bringing condemnation to all. But then we see him refer to Christ, that grace, he defeated all the sin and takes condemnation for those who receive the gift of God and put their faith in Christ. They are justified through Christ and Christ alone through God's free gift to us. So one man, we are all made sinners through Adam. But for those who put their trust in Christ through him, and only him we are justified. And we see in the last verse it states sin increased, but grace abounded even more. There is no sin that that has not been defeated. There is nothing you can do that won't be forgiven for those who put their faith in Christ Jesus. His grace is all abundant for those who believe in Christ. We gain eternal life with God so much more than we deserve. What leads me to point number 3. God's grace is eternal. God's grace is all through the Bible. It is easy to think that God's grace and mercy is just a New Testament concept that only came in into the picture when, through Christ's incarnation and through Christ's living, and that's where and that they were just under the law in the Old Testament, as it says in John one to, one verse seventeen. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's easy to think this way. But it but the real meaning But what it's really meaning, when we truly think about it, is God's grace was there in the Old Testament. It, it's not just the New Testament thing. God's grace is eternal. With both these events in history, we see God's grace. We see God's grace. They are both derived events into the history of salvation through the law God graciously revealed his character and righteousness requirements to Israel but as it's saying in John 117 is that Jesus was the, marked the final definitive revelation of God's grace and the truth and he was superior to the law We see God's grace all through the Old Testament to the New Testament from the fall in the garden we see God provide Adam and Eve with animal skins for clothing he supplied the first sacrifice. He spared Moses and his family from the flood. He provided a lamb for Abraham to sacrifice instead of Isaac. God's grace shines all the way to the cross, then all the way through our generation and all the way into eternity. From the garden to Golgotha, from Golgotha to this generation, and from this generation to eternity, God's grace is eternal. God's grace is an amazing thing. Its depth of God, the depth of God's grace is astonishing, and some something as humans we can't fully grasp the depth of it. We can understand to a point, but we can't fully understand the depth of God's amazing grace. But with how amazing His grace is, it does not give us a get out of get out of jail free card to do whatever we want because God will forgive us. That's not the point. We are saved through grace. That's not where grace finishes. We need to be taught by grace. What is the next point? In Titus 2, 11-14. For grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. In the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from lawlessness, and purify from himself a people of his own possession, who are zealous for the good works, declare these things exhort and rebuke with all authority, that no one discard you. Here we see Paul writing to Titus about being taught by grace. Paul says that grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and the worldly passions to live a self-controlled, uprightly godly lives. Grace teaches us that we need to take up God's moral law and forsake the things that displease Him. Living a sinful life and living a pleasing life to God. Without grace, we cannot possibly live a godly life. It's not possible. But as we have placed our faith in Christ, we have received that grace that allows us to be capable of obedience. But not only capable, we are commanded to that obedience. And through grace, we should, have, should be eager to live our lives of grace. Before grace and before we are saved, the law pointed us that we needed grace and that we don't measure up. We can't say ourselves. But once we put our faith in Christ and receive grace, then grace points us to the need of the law. And living our lives to the best of our ability to keeping that law. The ongoing importance of the law is sanctification. Grace gives us the ability to humbly submit to God's good government. And, turn, and in turn, gives God, God gives grace to the humble to be able to keep His commands. If we see grace as a get our jail free card, then we've completely missed the point. Christ did not die, so, so we sin and keep sinning with no regrets. We need to be changed and taught by God's grace. If we view grace as a, as a free gift to cover our sins, and that's it, and we're not changed by it, and keep living the way of the world, then we're living a life of greasy grace. So, greasy grace, something that that is greasy is slippery, it's well lubricated, it's hard to take hold, Um, you you get sort of the view of it. So, if you live in greasy grace, you're on a slippery ground, you're not on the solid rock that God has called you to stand on. Jesus didn't die for us to live in greasy grace, but instead grace that is life-changing. If you keep living in greasy grace, then all you do is mould yourself and your life to the world. And to live to worldly expectations, and in turn, your life will represent the world. But when you are taught by grace, our standards become God's standards. We are set apart, we set ourselves apart from the world, in turn, moulding what Christ has done in our lives, and being a represent, repreta, representation of Christ to the world of which we are called to. Grace is abundant, and because we are saved in grace, we call to represent it to others. Jesus did more than inaugurate an abundant life of grace. He defined it and demonstrated it. We need, to, we need as followers of Christ, to represent this grace, and in abundance to others, in turn representing Christ. But what does that mean, to be abundant in life? Ask anyone of a worldly view, an abundance life is to be successful, to have all the money you need to own your own house and on the weekend run up to the beach house and ride jet skis all weekend. Hashtag blessed. Am I right? But that's not what the Bible says about being abundant in grace, what it means. It's not coming coming to Christ the next minute you're cruising up the highway in a brand new Maserati Instagramming hashtag blessed. Being saved is not a key to Insta fame or all the money you ever need. God may choose to bless you in this way, but the Bible says, truly says what an abundant life is, in Matthew 5, 2-11. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, of theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecuted for the righteous sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others reveal you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were there before you. So the Bible has a bit of a different version of what most people say is an abundant life. How many people will be posting hashtag blessed after these things have happened to you? Well, it states in Matthew. Jesus didn't say that the world says Jesus didn't say what the world says is abundant life. but Instead, abundant life is to live a life of humility. God gives grace to those who are humble and will provide for you in what you need to be able to do His will. And He gives grace to those who embrace this abundant life for Him and not for themselves. His grace in our lives fuels sanctification in our lives Well, not only teaches us, but it strengthens us in grace as well. As I mentioned, through God's grace, we are strengthened. And what we just went through, being taught by grace and living abundant lives according to His grace, is not an easy task. But lucky for us, we are truly hashtag blessed. We are strengthened by Christ through His grace. Grace does not teach us. Grace does not teach us to recognize ungodliness, but not just teach us to recognize ungodliness, but it also strengthens us to do so. Acts 20.32 And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up, And give you inheritance among all who are sanctified. talks about God's word having the power to build you up and strengthen you. Through the power of salvation through grace. Also, we have been given the Holy Spirit. And in Hebrews 10.29 and Zechariah 12.10, he's known by the spirit of grace. We know from the word of God that the Holy Spirit is a gracious gift giver. But he's also a gracious gift from God. In 1 Peter 4, 1-11, it says, Since therefore Christ suffered in, in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as you live for the rest of the time in flesh, no longer for human possessions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sense, impassioned in drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties and lawless adultery, with respect to the... least they are surprised when you did not join them in the same flood of debauchery and the margin... Margin you, but they will give you account to them who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that through though judged in the flesh, the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded, for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards and God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him bring glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. sums up the way that we should be stewards of God's grace, how we are called to live by allowing grace to teach us, to change us, living abundant lives through grace, being strengthened by grace, using the gifts of the Spirit to abundantly bless others, in turn living in the way that glorifies Christ, and allowing us to share and represent the good news and the hope we have in Him. God's grace, unlike some of His attributes, we can't possibly act in them, but grace, we we can. We're actually commanded to, we're called to, like His holiness. Once we are saved by grace, we're called and commanded to show the same grace. In the same way, in this time we are in now, I could not think of a better time that we should be representing Christ that the and that grace. So many people living in fear and without hope what an opportunity we have as a church to represent and show Christ, to show His grace, but not just His grace, all His attributes, and leading them to the King and kings, and ho- hopefully turning the worst time in their lives to the best time, hopefully bringing them to know Christ and ultimately life changing. Through this time, we have a great opportunity to be good stewards of God's grace and taking the good news to those who who are in fear, who are down and out, who are struggling. Yes, we might be in a similar position, but God has blessed us abundantly through His grace. And we need to bless others abundantly through that grace. We have an amazing opportunity to bring God's grace to others. If, we, if you are listening to this and don't know Jesus Christ, the amazing gift from God that is free and that can't be earned, there's nothing we can do to deserve or buy or bargain or receive this gift from God as His grace is free. Jesus died on the cross for you to save you from the sins, which which leads to death and suffering of the, wrath, of the wrath of God through God's grace to you. If you'd like to know more about Christ, please contact your local Bible-preaching church or read the gospel in a Bible. If you're struggling at this time, please contact us because we'd love to help you out. I we'll would just close in prayer. Father, we we thank you that you are a gracious God, Lord. We thank you that that you came to die on the cross for us, Lord. That that your grace, Lord, covers us, Lord. Lord we we pray, Lord, that we'll operate in that grace, Lord. Lord. We pray that your grace would change our lives, Lord. We we pray for you will be changed and would you please bless us as we continue to go. Bless this coming week, Lord. Bless us as we as we walk through it, Lord, and help us to do your will, Lord, in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks, everyone, and have a great week and stay safe. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.